listening to the Art of Fulfillment podcast. We interview the world's most fulfilled people to share with you the strategies, techniques, and ideas that can help you master your own art of fulfillment. Life isn't about external success. It's all about fulfillment. Or in other words, how you feel about yourself when you are by yourself. All right, guys, today's guest is a full-time adventure motivational speaker and is known as the fear guru who helps people use fear as something that can be beneficial as opposed to something that can hold you back. Early in life, he was an Olympic rower, top MBA school graduate, and a successful entrepreneur. But despite these great accomplishments, he found his lifestyle largely unfulfilling, and it wasn't until he had a near encounter with death battling leukemia where he recognized that life is too short to do things you hate. So he decided to take approach in life he knew was going to be fulfilling and become an adventurer, which has led him to remarkable accomplishments such as setting a world record as the first to officially bike to Mount Everest Base Camp and winning the 3,000-mile bike race across America. But most admirably, his greatest accomplishment is being someone whose mission is to help people find the adventure within themselves and break through fear to live a life that they've always desired. So please, help me in welcoming the fear guru himself, Patrick Sweeney. Thanks for coming on the show, Patrick. Oh, man, Joe, that's awesome intro. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm flattered. Oh, of course, man. You're just like such an exciting guy with like all this like great stuff. And I didn't want to give away too much stuff because I think the way that you tell your story is just so awesome too. Um, so instead of just me just telling the audience, I think, you know, one of the most powerful moments in your life was when you were battling leukemia and you made that decision to take hold of it. And I want to read a quote that's on your website that gave me the absolute chills when I was reading it. And it is, there are times in your life when you need to make a change. Those times of change become milestone moments that alter everything. You get a glimpse of what life could be if you reach inside and change things to become the person you are meant to be. And I think that is so awesome. And so from that, can you give your perspective on what that time in your life was like for you and what really led you to make that decision in that moment where you know you were at one of your lowest points? Well, you know, Joe, it's it's funny because I tell everyone courage is my superpower, right? But it never used to be. I mean, I if you could show a poster card for the guy who was the world's biggest wimp, it was me. <laughs> I mean, grow, growing up as a kid, you know, I got bullied a little bit. I had a had a rough, you know, childhood. My my grandfather was abusive and and all the stuff that was going on, and I was always trying to find my own self-identity, right? And I was always trying to prove myself but I was always filled with this tremendous shame because I was afraid of everything. You know, I was, a, I was afraid of other people. I was afraid of taking chances. I was afraid of rejection. And, and it, it grew as I got older, right? The, you mentioned uh, I spent six years training for the Olympics. During that time, I found out I was gonna race the World Cup. It should have been one of the happiest days of my life, but instead it was one of the most terrifying because it meant I had to fly and, and it would take six or seven beers just to get me near an airport, you know, never mind on a plane. Uh, because I was so scared to fly. So I had I had this life that, you know, by many accounts looked great on the outside. It was really me, a person full of shame and, and regret that was trying to put on this this cocoon, you know, hide myself behind it. And then going into Hopkins, having this really r- rare leukemia, there, there are two things. You know, you mentioned the quote on the site, and it's to find out the person you're supposed to be but it's the why behind it that I don't mention on the site, but we can go into a little bit because Mm -hmm. the person you're supposed to be is first and foremost for those people who love you and count on you, 
They want the authentic you. And then when you do that and when you reveal the real you and, and all the shame and guilt and, and fears that you, then it really changes you as a person. And, and, you know, that's what happened to me when I, when I had that, you know, near death moment, I had, I got up actually after I was operated on and woke up in the middle of the night and just saw this black tunnel vision. I was getting up and it was like trying to stand up on one of those teacup rides and, and everything, the, the whole room's moving and, and then it was sort of a white, bright light. And, and I thought, holy fuck, I'm dying. And, and this is it. This is, this is the end. What have I been afraid of all these years? This is going to happen because no one gets out alive. And, and so here it is. And I missed out on you know, so many opportunities because of fear. And I let fear drive so many of my decisions. And I got to what I thought was the end of my life. And, and, and I, I had nothing but regret. I felt, you know, I felt shame and regret. I didn't feel at peace. I didn't feel like I had a great life, like I made an impact. And so when I got out, then it became a, a choice that I knew I had to make because I didn't, I didn't want to have that opportunity. You know, when I, when I went into Hopkins, I thought my life was over, but, mm. but in reality, it was just starting because I got rid of, you know, I had $150,000 cars and I was wearing $10,000 suits and $20,000 watches, all to put on this air of being like big, tough, successful guy. And it was all fake, right? It was all hiding the shame inside. So when I got out, I said, all right, you know, I'm, I'm going to choose courage. I'm going to go take flying lessons. And, and that was, you know, you talk about some scary shit. Going those first one or two lessons uh, was crazy, but afterwards, you know, my changed, and and it's amazing because the the thing I realized is, you know, I'm at I'm at this Spartan World Championships now, and there's all sorts of obstacles, right? And and there's all these big walls you have to get over, and fear's like that, and a lot of people start to feel fear or see fear, and they run away from it, and in reality, all your dreams inside of fear. Once you get over that wall, you realize, holy shit, this is amazing. And it's never as bad as you think it is. So, you know, that's that's the mess. And that's my mission right now. And the message I want to share with your, you know, with your audience is that on the other side of fear, embrace it, use it as fuel. And you've got that dream life. That's where the fulfillment and the passion are sitting right now. Absolutely, so, man. I totally agree. And I I literally love like the whole depiction of how you were so scared of flying and then you became a fucking pilot. Like, <laughs> like just, that is just like the perfect transformation. Cause I think there's a lot of people out today who like talk about dealing fear, but like, man, like you didn't only just conquer your fear of flying. I mean, like you literally like became someone who actually like does the thing, which is just awesome. And I think that's so, so cool. So for someone who wants to, you know, push through the fear and stuff, like what are, cause I know like you're big on like the neuroscience and the techniques too, but like, what are some of the, you know, strategies that you've learned along the way, but also ones that you've actually used on yourself, you know, in that moment of fear, because, um, uh, I know a lot of people uh, at times they'll be like, oh yes, I know it's the other side of fear, but it's, it's so hard. Like the amygdala is kicking in, like, you know, all that stuff's coming around. So how do we really get ourselves to take action and get over that wall? Like you said before. Well, well, Joe, you know, you hit it right on the head. There's, there's so much to learn out there for my book, the, the book that's coming out in January, fear is fuel. I've interviewed over 36 neuroscientists to try and figure out how the brain works and, and why this shit happens, why I could go into Hopkins like a complete coward and then come out as, as a guy who's filled with courage. 
and then how much my life changed after that. And, you know, I was working less, but I was, my businesses were taken off. My relationship with my wife and, and my kids just got better. Everything got better when I chose courage. And you hear about, you mentioned the amygdala. The amygdala is a, a small gland at the base of your brain and it handles a fight, flight, or freeze response. It is running a two million year old piece of software, right? It's mm -hmm. only there to procreate our genes onto the next generation. So it, it doesn't care about happiness. It doesn't care about building a, a great company. It doesn't care about vacationing in Fiji. None of that matters. It only cares about survival. So if you listen to that voice, that's, that's the fear voice. And we hear about that all the time in, in the news, the amygdala is in the news and the research about it's always online in the news. We seldom hear about a different part of our brain called the SGACC. That's the courage equivalent of the amygdala. And you literally can flip a switch and choose either to be afraid or to be courageous. And once you do your first courageous thing, you know, whether it's, it's um, trying to get up and do stand up, trying to ask out, you know, that hot girl at the gym or that hot guy, whatever it is, you do that first thing and you flip that switch and you say, I'm going to, I'm going to take this leap, small leap. You're going to start to fire those neurons together. And then if you do it again and again, those neurons that fire together will wire together. And then the, the halo effect of all that courage is just incredible. So the first thing is really recognizing those, those sensations in your body when you get scared. Because when you feel that, and we all have very specific sensations. So my, I get bats in my stomach and, and my, hands get, my hands get sweaty. And, you know, it's, it's a very different feeling. Some people get, get a leg that starts to shake or, or their heart starts to pound in their chest. We all have these things that I call your fear tells. And as soon as you start to recognize those changes, you got to say to yourself, all right, the amygdala is trying to take over. It's trying to hijack. And I've got two choices to make. I can either make this choice out of fear or I can make this choice out of opportunity. When you make that choice out of fear, it always leads to regret and shame and, and, and disappointment. You make that choice out of opportunity. That's where you find growth and passion and fulfillment and happiness. So you've got to be able to stop and recognize when that's taking place because most people don't and they feel those changes in their body and they want to do one of the three Fs, fight, flight, or freeze, right? So they start yelling and do the fight or they'll just leave and they'll, they'll get out of the situation and, you know, maybe, maybe that someone offers them a chance to partner in a new company and like, oh, no, dude, it's not a good time. You know, I've got this big project at work. I want to finish it. And they they flee, they come up with an excuse. So just recognizing that is really the first step. And it's a, it's a big exploration for a lot of people. Oh, I love that, man. And I love how you say, you know, the repetition creates the, the, you know, the neurons to wire together and all that stuff. And I, and I love how that's why you say to do something that scares you every day, right? Not, Absolutely. not just only to get comfortable with it, but you're literally creating the neural connections, which is so fascinating. And it's, and it really just puts the science behind it. So like anyone who's like, you know, not into like the woo woo either thing, like, it's like, no, like this is neuroscience It's powerful. And on the second point, I love how you talk about going into opportunities. So would you say that like, like sometimes like the things that do fear us are really telling us like this is something that we might we, we should go to. Like how do we like just exactly. decipher like decipher it like from that way or like from if it's like real danger too, right? Because you know, the amygdala definitely can be helpful maybe at times too, but how do we like decipher between it's like I should go towards this or maybe it's like real fear, you know? 
So I, I think a, a great way to do it is, is to step back and, and take the position of an observer. So, mm-hmm. so my kids, uh, my, my, my boys who are uh, 13 and 14 play this video game, right? And it's, a, it's one of the drive video games that I'll play with them occasionally. And you can take a couple different perspectives when you're playing. You can sit behind the steering wheel and look out the window like you're driving the normal car, right? And that's how most people live their life when it comes to fear. They're the driver and they're sitting in there feeling it. The second position you can take is like the the person who's filming the race in the helicopter. And so you see all the turns that are upcoming, you see what's around the next bend, you see where the other cars are, and that's the perspective you wanna take in life. You wanna be someone who steps out of the the first person. You don't wanna be the the person who things are happening to. You wanna look up and be the person who's saying, okay, I, I see the whole situation and I see two or three different options. Because every time we feel fear, you're exactly right, Joe. That's that's an opportunity. When you feel that mm-hmm. shit taking over your body, you're producing adrenaline, DHEA, cortisol. Everything gets better. You perform better mentally. You pour, perform better physically. You know, you've heard about 130-pound women who can pick up a car to save their kid's life. That's because we normally use 50% of our physical capacity. Even trained athletes only get up to 60 or 65%. And a mental capacity, we use less than 10%. But when we hit that fear response, when the amygdala triggers our sympathetic and parasympathetic nerve system, we can get up to 100% physical power and up to 60 or 70% mental power. So when, when all that shit's happening and taking place, you got to say, okay, now I've got a superpower going on. I'm going to use this opportunity and take advantage of it. And, and the way to do that is, is with risk. You know, you, uh, I'm here in um, uh, Squaw Valley at the Spartan World Championships and Joe DeSena, who started Spartans, a good friend of mine, and one of the stories he tells is great. He was petrified. He saw Jaws when he was a little kid, the movie. Terrified of sharks, right? Being afraid of sharks is one of the silliest fears we can have. There's millions of people who swim every year, and less than 10 people a year die of sharks. But it's grisly, and it's in the movies, and it's in people's head. He, he literally used to take a shower every morning as a kid, standing on a stool, because he was afraid a fucking shark was going to come up out of the drain and attack him. And that, so that's crazy. So what he decided to do, he was in Nantucket one time, uh, I think this is 10 years ago, eight or 10 years ago, and he was doing this adventure race and he carried a sandbag across the beach and he was supposed to hand off to one of his partners who was gonna swim across the bay and, and there, that was the last leg. And the partner said, dude, they said they reported sharks. I'm going in and Joe felt all this fear taking place and he said, fuck it, I'm going to get over this fear. And he dove in. He said, I'll take the swim. And on the other side of the bay, he met this volunteer who was working at the race and, and started talking. And he said, you know, I was really scared, but I just, I just did it. It was awesome. I feel really good about myself. And now that's his wife. So yeah. on the other side of fear, he found that. And for me, for 35 years, flying was locked away from me. Right. I, I was terrified. I wouldn't go see any place in the world. I made all these excuses not to go to spring break or exchange programs. It was all because I was afraid to fly. And then once I started taking flying lessons, I fell in love with it. It was like one of the greatest sources of joy and fulfillment. So got my private license, got my instrument rating, got my commercial rating. I'm never going to be a commercial pilot, but I wanted to keep learning. And now I compete in aerobatics. Like, like the thing that would have had me in a corner in the fetal position saying, you're going to take 10 Gs, rocketing towards the ground, upside down, alone in a plane. I'd be like, fuck me. But now I do it and it's one of my greatest sources of joy. So 
if people aren't making choices because of fear, what's what's fear locking away from them? If, if your listeners are out there and thinking, I'm afraid to do this, I'm afraid to do that, what great joy is on the other side of fear that they don't even know about yet? That's that's mm-hmm. my mission to get people to discover that. Right. And, and they're never going to discover it if they don't take that leap, right? Like Joe probably wouldn't have met his wife if he didn't go on there. And and for reference too, we've had Joe on the show and he's, you know, comes off as this like super badass. And he is, I mean, don't get me wrong. He's fucking yeah. tough as nails and shit. So I think it probably would shock some viewers. I mean, even me too, because, you know, I, I follow his work a lot. It's, it's crazy to see that someone like that, like still has fear. So like, I'm, I'm just like, kind of deriving from that and even so you said like when you took the first flying lesson it was scary and stuff so for you like what does courage mean exactly to you because i think a lot of people nowadays will think that courage means that we don't have any fear or like we you know go up to the plate but what does it mean to you so so courage means acting in the face of fear so you can't have courage unless you have fear that's that's why we need fear fearlessness means the absence of fear. It means you've gotten so used to something that it doesn't scare you anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, you know, making coffee in the morning. I'm not afraid to make coffee, right? So I'm not getting a fear response. I don't have to use any willpower. I don't have to make the choice. It's when the shit hits the fan and, and your amygdala triggers, and then you've got to say, okay, I'm going to clear out my working memory because your working memory is sort of the adult supervision. And I'm going to make the choice to be in control of my life. And mm-hmm. I'm going to choose courage. And one of the things, you've got some listeners who are millennials. One of the things their parents have done in, in the, the last couple of generations is they wanted a better life for their kids. They wanted an easier life for their kids. And a lot of them became what I call bulldozer parents, right? They try to smooth the, the easiest path for their kids. So what that meant is a lot of kids growing up in the past two generations, really, haven't had the difficulties that others had. And that means they didn't have the opportunity to go through a coming of age, to get out of their comfort zone, to realize that they could do way more than they think they can and and that they're in control of their life. And I think a lot of the shit that we do now, especially in schools, is making kids learn that they should be the victim. And when you're the victim, there's always a villain, but you always have to find a hero to get you out of that victim's role. So you're Mm -hmm. seceding your control of your life to a hero. So, you know, if someone's bullying you, don't fight back. Go to the bully control officer and they'll straighten it out for you. And that's complete bullshit. You know, what what we have to learn and what people have learned the hard way when the stakes get higher as as young adults is, look, there's nobody there who's going to bail them out. They can stay victims. Right. There's there's two ways to go through life, Joe. and, And you know this life either happens to you and you're a victim or life happens by you and you're a creator. And once you're a creator and once you realize you take control for what's happening in your life, it's easy to choose courage. And, and you don't need fearlessness, right? Because you know you get into any situation, you can assess the risk and say, hey, if I get on a commercial plane, I've got less than a, uh, I'd have to fly on a commercial plane every single day for 20,000 years to guarantee that I'd die in the plane. That's how safe they are compared to a car accident, you know, which we get into every day, but just the familiarity of it makes us fearless in, in getting into a car for most people. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude. I love everything about that answer. That was so awesome. And I mean, it, it's true because I, I love how you touch on like the, the, the thing with my generation too, because when I grew up, I definitely had the same thing. I mean, love my parents to death. They were great and they meant well. I mean, I, I think all the parents Absolutely. mean well, but at the same time, like 
when I think about like what I'm going to do with my kids and what I started doing in my life is like saying like, dude, I've had no adversity in my life. Like, yeah. you know, my, my parents gave me a great, you know, background. And again, I love them for it. But like at the same time, I didn't really have struggles growing up. So like the smallest shit would just set me off kilter. And I think a lot of people, millennials, especially, you know, people in my generation, that, that's what we face. And so we need to do the things that scare us, like you said, so that we can just be more attuned with that skill. Right. And, and, and it's a hundred percent, Joe, hundred percent. And, and what people don't even realize is how much we're capable of. Mm. So when I started, you know, when I, when I started flying, I started realizing this. I thought, well, shit, you know, you mentioned Everest Base Camp and, and Kilimanjaro and the first person to go up Elbrus, which is Europe's highest mountain. Um, all these racing across the Iditarod Trail in Alaska in, in January on a, on a fat bike. All of that shit was just to see how much I could push myself and what I was really capable of. And, and some of it was crazy scary, right? But, but I kept going through it and I kept really finding that fulfillment and that joy and that pride in myself. You know, I didn't feel the shame or the, or the guilt or the, you know, the, the regret that I used to feel. So it was awesome. And if I can do it, anyone out there can do it. And it's just a choice that they've got to make. If they really want that great fulfilled life, then they've got to be able to, to take that risk and put themselves on the line out there because that's the only way they'll find that, that end goal. They'll find those dreams. Right, exactly. And, and it doesn't even need to take like a near-death experience for everyone, right? I mean, like, God forbid, like someone gets in one of those things. I think they can be super powerful, like you said, and stuff. But like, I, I think people just need to like ask themselves. And I love your signature on your email, which is so awesome. The memento mori, man. Like, you always just got to remember that we're going to die someday. And when you do that, like you're going to start to take more control of your life and you're going to be like, like, you know, I said in your intro and what you're just so good at just saying all the time is like life's too short to do things that, you know, you're not going to like or things that you hate. So like you really just got to wake up and do it. And I know that there's some listeners right now who are probably listening to you and like, dude, I'm, I'm literally like, I wish you can see the fucking chills on my body, like from all the things that you're saying. It's, it is awesome. Um, and I'm sure there's listeners with the same thing and they're like, okay, I'm ready to take it on. I'm ready to take it on. I'm ready to do this, but I don't know what I want to do. And we were talking a little bit about how that's, you know, a lot of my audience not sure what yeah. to do. So for you, when, when you were in that moment of clarity being like, okay, like all these things are not fearful, what led you to doing things like in the adventure area? I know you said that, you know, it was something that you wanted to push yourself, but why did you choose that arena specifically? So, so for me, Joe, it was really a love of the outdoors. You know, I just, I just loved being outside and, and I loved being, you know, doing adventurous stuff and discovering new places. And, and when I wasn't afraid to fly anymore, I wanted to see everything, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I wanted to go to Nepal. I wanted to go to Africa. I wanted to uh, go to South America and, and, you know, race through the jungle in, in Costa Rica. So it was for me... The fact that that all of a sudden, you know, I went from living in this tiny little box that was had me locked in by by fear of driving distance from Boston. Right. You know, and that was that was like my whole world. All of a sudden, the, the world opened up and it was just for, for me, it was knowing one when I was really happy where I was really happy, what I like to do for a challenge. And and, you know, we talk a lot about the flow state. And that's really a great way to look at it is when you do something and, and for you, Joe, it, it might be podcasting. When you get on that podcast and you get to talk to people and find out like what's really inside them and you do a great job of asking these poignant questions, you might think, man, I'm just in the zone. And you look at your watch and an hour has gone by and it seems like five minutes. And that's because you're in that flow state and you're doing what you love as opposed to, you know, if you took the job 
out of school as a, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know what you hate to do, but like if, if you hated being a, uh, an HR director and you had to hire people every day and, Oh yeah, I would hate that. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's all what you, what you love to do. And I had a, a very good friend of mine, a woman named Diana Chapman. If you ever have a chance to get her on your podcast, you should. She wrote this book called Conscious Leadership, and um, and I see her a couple of times a year, and we we get together. And she said to me, "This is like ten years." She said, "Okay, well, you know, as you as you start to explore what you're doing with this fear stuff, and and what you want to do with hosting shows and everything else, ask yourself what you do, you know, what you'd love to do." And I said, "You know, if you were to ask me that a few years ago, I would have said I I love to rock climb, and I just want to go into the middle of the woods." find the best rock climbing spots and do it. But I could never make a living like that, right? And this was, I think, two years before Alex Hanold was on uh, 60 Minutes. And if you know him, he's the one in free solo in the National yeah. Geographic who does all the free soloing. Dude's making like, you know, a million bucks a year now as a rock climber. And Diane is like, see, see, doing what he's loved, he's killing it. I'm like, fuck, I should have been a rock climber. <laughs> right. And you're a full-time adventure, man, and you're out there killing it. So, I mean, hey, I think there's the proof, too. Like, if you love adventure, like, Patrick's the guy, you know? That's it. Well, you know, it's and, – and everybody has it. Like, it, when I see my friends and, – and you've heard this as well. Everyone, all of your listeners, I'm sure, have heard that, look, you're the average of the five people you're closest with. And, and if you really want to – get great and do something amazing, surround yourself with amazing people and, and fire your friends. I always tell my, my friends, fire your friends who aren't of service to you. You know, say, say, look, I just, I don't want to spend time with you. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to, you know, go drinking every weekend. I don't want to, uh, you know, do whatever. And so, so some friends you got to fire, but then when you have those friends around you who are supportive and I had five or six of them when I, you know, thought about turning all this, neuroscience stuff into a book and they're like dude go get it you'll you'll kill it and now with the speaking and with with you know opportunities like this hopefully all this information is changing you know thousands of lives Oh, for sure, man. And it definitely is. And I'm so excited for that book, too, because I mean, you're already giving so much knowledge here, too, and it's going to be great. And I also love, you know, even too how you said you've got to break up with the friends who aren't on the same path as you or, or aren't at least I shouldn't say on the same path as you, but aren't supportive of you and they're not lifting you up and they're not making you better and challenging you. And yeah. to, to bring that back for a lot of people, that's scary. It's fearful. But as you taught, man, like you can just literally use the same techniques. Like you said, be the observer. No, it's the amygdala and really just know to your core and saying, if I die, are these are these people going to be the ones I want to spend time with or am I going to spend time with the other people, you know? That's exactly right. And, and one, of the, one of the things that biggest fears that we have is rejection from the tribe. Yes. So we have this internal database, which incidentally holds as much information as 500 MacBook Pro laptops, right? So we have all this information. Most of that shit we didn't put in there. Right. Somebody else did. And that's one of our biggest problems in in life. So we didn't choose where we were born. We didn't choose the color of our skin. We didn't choose what language we speak. We didn't choose how many brothers and sisters we have or where we went to school. Like We didn't choose any of that. But that's the foundation for our internal subconscious database. And Mm -hmm. we make about 75 percent of our decisions subconsciously. And most people don't even realize that. But there's great neuroscience behind the fact that we're making all these choices subconsciously, but they're, they're actually not choices, they're judgments. 
So if I walk into Starbucks and you and I walk in and, you know, we're two white guys from Wisconsin who grew up in, you know, a, a upper middle class neighborhood and we see some guy who looks like he's a victim of a drive by piercing, we might be like, oh, what the fuck? Well, look at that freak. Right. And, and that's because he's different from our tribe. And that's a judgment. And we literally they just proved this in 2016 at MIT. We literally use half of our brain to make that decision. It's called emotional valence. So if, if something is perceived as bad, it gets routed to the right side of our brain without thinking about it or without without even question. So we have to learn to think about how the opposite of our story is true and use the other hemisphere and use our whole brain. And we walk in and we see that we got to catch ourselves saying, OK, that's a judgment. How can I be curious? You think, OK, well, that guy has so much self-confidence. He doesn't care what other people think about him. That guy must have one hell of a tolerance for pain because I could, <laughs> I could never pierce the shit out of my eyebrow. So, so all these things, we got to turn judgment into curiosity. And sometimes that takes getting rid of people in your tribe. Sometimes you got to fire people in your tribe. And one of the biggest things that holds people back is, is fear of success. Right? I come mm -hmm. from a blue collar, you know, uh, first generation Irish immigrant dad where most of my family are cops or priests and 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 to get too successful, oh, you know, oh, look at Patty. He's he's out there fucking showing off again, right? And and so that fear of success, that's what happens when a lot of people have to fire their friends. Like, oh, you're too good for us. And and the fact of the matter is, no, I'm not too good for you, but I don't want to get stuck. I don't want to hang out with a bunch of victims, a bunch of people who are blaming their problems and their live on everyone else. I want to be, you know, people who are gonna lift me up, just like you said. But it is, it's it's tough to do. That's a that's a really tough and really fearful place to put yourself, but it's worth it at the end of the day. Right, and I love how everything that you're saying too just really just starts with just being aware of the thing, right? Being aware that so the amygdala's there, right? Yeah. It's tough, but because like like you said, most of the quote unquote decisions that we make are subconscious and like we're not even really thinking about it and aware of it. So I think the awareness is just such a big thing and we're all about that in our show and I just love that you're you know stressing that like to, to the max because I think it's awesome. There's two or three things you really need to be aware of, Joe. Number one is when the amygdala is trying to hijack your thought process. Okay, mm -hmm. so that that's really critical to understand when fear is trying to make that decision. When you get that email from a boss or a client or a coworker, and you're thinking, "Fuck me, I'm gonna," you know, let me show him. Right? You do one of the, those things. That's totally the amygdala like reacting. So you've got to start to that, and the best way to do it like we said, is to scare yourself every day. Go do something and, and try and sense in that body where it's happening. The second thing, and, and I go into this in a lot of detail in the book, is everybody has what I call a fear frontier. So there's a point in your life before you're 10 or 12 years old where something happened, and it could be something major like your parents dying in a car accident, or it could be something that seems minor, like uh, a teacher asking you to come up to the board and, and write an answer and you don't know the answer. But or a bully picking on you every day at lunchtime or something like that. Kids have these traumatic moments and we create defense mechanisms for them. And those defense mechanisms oftentimes define the rest of our life because mm -hmm. they're stuck with us. And if we never figure out what that fear frontier is and then what the defense mechanism is, then it's always going to come back and, and hold us back from our dreams and our fulfillment and our, our true absolute performance and, and success.
Yeah, man. Oh my gosh. That is so awesome. Yeah. And I, I just, I love how, you know, you're able to, to really just sit down and just like, think about those things and, and give yourself a choice as opposed to just snap react. And like you said, like you get the email and you're like, oh, fuck you boss. But it's like, yeah. it's not really you, man. It's just like the brain just hijacking and you got to get to the place where it's like more you. And I think that's so cool. Cause you know, I think you're not only all about letting people become like more courageous, but I think you're just also all about, you know, giving people more control in their lives, right? Like more, more direction over the fear. And I love that, man. And dude, like I, I wish we could literally talk for like 24 hours straight. Cause like, I'm not even kidding. This is one of my favorite conversations that I've had so far. I think awesome. you're one of the most passionate and, and thoughtful and, and just articulate guests that we've had on the show. And it is just such a pleasure to have you. And I'm super excited to read your new book when it comes out. I'm definitely going to read it. And I'm, I really suggest everyone else does too. So could you tell us a little bit more about that, when it's going to be out? And sure. um, anything else in terms of where our guests can find you if they're more interested in digging into your world and learning more about you? Absolutely, Joe. Well, listen, thank you so much. It's, it's been a real honor and a pleasure to, to be with you and your audience and spend time. And I'm really flattered you asked me to be on the show. So first of all, thank you so much for that. Course. The book, uh, Fear is Fuel, you can pre-order now on Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble, and it comes out in January, and they'll, uh, there'll be a couple of different launch events around the country, so you can go on my website, uh, pjsweeney.com or uh, thefearguru.com, either one will get you there, and then on uh, Twitter, it's at pjsweeney, Instagram is thefearguru, so people can connect with me there, and uh, you know, I'd love to uh, hear what you have to say about the book. I'll make sure I get you a signed copy. We can go do something fun and scare ourselves a little bit and, uh, and do another podcast. Oh, hell yeah, man. I, I, I would love to scare myself with you, man. Cause like, it'd be so cool. To be like, yeah, I scare myself with the fear guru. Like how cool does that sound? So <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well, yeah, man, thank you. And to our listeners, I totally encourage you to dig into this guy's world because dude, he is powerful. He's knowledgeable and he's done all the shit that he says too, which I think is just one of the most important resumes anyone can have is not just, you know, uh, having the knowledge. I mean, this man implemented his life and did all these amazing things and he's super fulfilled. And so speaking of fulfillment for my last and final brief, question what does fulfillment mean to you and what fulfills you in life fulfillment means to me joe doing the things that i can look back on my life and say i had an amazing life and i know when the end finally comes for me i want to die a, a great dignified death knowing that i did my best to change the world i did things that were true to my heart and more importantly, for the people who love me and count on me, I was there for them and, and really you know, did my best. And, and I think if I look back on that with all the amazing stuff I did, you know, I'll die a happy man. Fuck, man. You hit me right in the heart with that one. That was awesome. <laughs> Patrick, thank all you right. so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Joe, thanks a million. I look forward to hearing from you and catching up soon. Take care. Oh. Of course, man. You too. Thank you. All right, guys. If you were as pumped up about as I was in that show, please explore this man's world. Pre-order his book. I will not. I will give you the personal guarantee that you will not regret it because I think this guy is awesome. And I'm just so, so grateful for you guys to listen to all the amazing things that he had to say. So you can find us on Instagram at our fulfillment. Shoot us a DM if you have questions and we'll see you next Wednesday. Take care, guys.